The following message is by Dr. Cliff McManus, pastor-teacher of Grace Bible Fellowship, located in Mountain View, California. Today we're looking at what the Bible has to say about hospitality, a very important topic. This issue of hospitality has come up repeatedly at GBF, I know from a pastoral point of view, big picture behind the scenes kind of thing. Many discussions I've had with people regarding hospitality, what the Bible has to say about it, practical implications for us as a body, and also how it affects individual Christian lives. Uh, This issue of hospitality has actually come up at every church I've ever been a part of and a shepherd at over the last 20 years. Uh, This is a topic that should come up at every church because the local church, the Church of Jesus Christ, should be about hospitality. Uh, But sometimes it is misunderstood, as just about any conceivable topic in the Bible is often misunderstood for various reasons. And one of the common reasons that people misunderstand certain topics is because they have a wrong starting point or a wrong definition. And that's also been true of the word hospitality. Uh, There's a lot of different reasons for that uh, that confuse or kind of muddle the issue. And we're going to see that clearly from Scripture. Because I put a couple of verses at the top of your handout there from 1 Peter 4. 9 and Romans 12:10, 13, which are pretty much saying the same thing. They're giving the same command. The Apostle Paul and the Apostle Peter, in, moved along by the Spirit of God, are talking to local churches, churches filled with believers, giving a mandate from God, an imperative or command that they should live their life by. And Peter says this in 1 Peter 4:9, be hospitable to one another without complaint. This is a command. This is a command that Peter said was from God that was binding on the church and all Christians. Be hospitable. It's not an option. Uh, And then Paul said the same thing to the Roman Christians. Romans 12, 10 through 13. Paul said, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. And then he goes on and says, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. So that also is a command. So God has commanded the church. God has commanded individual Christians to be hospitable. But before we can practice that, we really need to understand what hospitality is, especially in a biblical context, because sometimes people define hospitality outside of a biblical context and muddy the waters. And the world does that. Secular definitions of hospitality have muddied the waters that may even affect our understanding of the basic word of hospitality. I'm thinking of here a good example would be Oprah, who's actually very well known for her good deeds and being a philanthropist all over the world, doing good deeds, and she does do good deeds. She's very generous with her money, starting schools, helping people in need, that kind of thing. And uh, so Oprah would understand, if you were to ask Oprah, you know, what is hospitality in her worldview, she'd probably say that hospitality is philanthropy, almost synonymous. And I would say not exactly, not from a biblical point of view. And then even the motive of Oprah, if you were to ask her, well, why do you do what you do? And this is common of a lot of folks who don't know Jesus Christ. Why? Because there's a lot of people who do good deeds around the world. Why are you doing that? And in that worldview, it might be, Oprah might say, and I've actually heard her say this, that the reason she's sharing what she has with so many people and people she doesn't even know is because, well, we're all the children of God. We're all God's children. And so that's her motive. That is huge. That is not a biblical motive for someone to practice hospitality. The Bible's clear. We are not all the children of God. We are born separated from God. We are born enemies of God, children of wrath, 
born in our sin and we need to be born again. That's why that's what Jesus said. We're not born the children of God. And that's why we need to be born again. So we are not all the children of God. So even that understanding and that motive for doing what she does is wrong. It's totally different in the Christian worldview. We don't do hospitality because we believe we are all the children of God. Uh, one of the greatest philanthropists and even somebody who practiced hospitality in model ways was Mother Teresa. Few would argue with that uh, because she did indeed love people and showed love towards people through actions. But when you heard Mother Teresa explain why she did what she did, because she, she wrote several books, and I've read a couple of her books, even seen her on video. Why do you do what you do? To many of these people, you don't even know. Why do you do that? And give such uh, help and devoted love through action to these people, most of whom are strangers and you don't know. And Mother Teresa would say, out of devotion to uh, Blessed Virgin Mary. That was her motive, one of her main reasons why. And we, as Christians, we would say, no, that, is, that isn't what motivates us. But that was what motivated Mother Teresa. And, another, and she would also say, because we are all the children of God. And she believed that. Uh, so when we talk about practicing hospitality, we even have to go to the depth of understanding. It is a command of God to be hospitable. But why do Christians practice hospitality? What drives us to do that? We're going to see from Scripture, not just what it is, how to do it, but why we should practice hospitality um, I was educated last week even on another definition of hospitality that you can go to college and major in some kind of hospitality that many times has to do with working in hotels and on a, a business kind of thing, welcoming people in that regard. Um, so we're going to limit our definition of hospitality to the biblical context. Uh, and all the apostles use it the same way. The book of Hebrews, First Peter, Timothy, and Romans, we're going to see that they use the same definition. And it's very limited and it's rooted in an Old Testament Understanding is how God gave it. So that's one of our goals is define biblical hospitality and then look at some general biblical principles from Genesis all the way into the New Testament uh, to give us a framework and really to fill in our worldview on this very important matter of hospitality. And that's one of the goals of our study this summer on all the individual topics that we're looking at is we're trying to develop a Christian worldview by which we can live in fulfillment of honoring Christ in every area of our life. So let's go ahead and look at uh, just a biblical definition of what hospitality is. Because, like I said, in the five years I've been at GBF here, the topic has come up on hospitality. And in my discussions, at times, uh, I might ask somebody, so how do you define or understand hospitality? Or not even here at GBF, just in talking with other Christians throughout the years. And there are common definitions that are given by Christians, common understanding, and sometimes they're not the same thing that's talking about in these passages in Romans 12. Uh, a common one that some people associate with the definition of biblical hospitality is just to have somebody in your home. That technically is not the meaning of hospitality. That's not the definition of hospitality, having someone in your home. That's actually an application of hospitality, but not the definition. Having someone in your home can be an act of hospitality. Having someone in your home might not even be an act of hospitality. We'll see that from Scripture. So hospitality doesn't mean having someone in your home necessarily. Um, some Christians have also told me that they think hospitality just means fellowship. It's when you have maybe members of your church come to your house and you get together for Bible study and you eat together, you pray together, you spend time together. That's hospitality. I'm thinking, well, not really, not according to the biblical definition. What you're describing is fellowship and a lot of the one another's, but that, technically that is not hospitality. 
like the specific definition that I was given one time is hospitality is when the members get together like for a Bible study in somebody's home on a Friday night and they study the Bible together and pray and all that stuff. That, and that's hospitality. And I said, well, not, not really. What hospitality is is when the members get together on a Friday night at Bible study and you're sitting around getting ready to have a Bible study and fellowship and prayer and then all of a sudden one of your members brings a guest who's never been to that Bible study before and they're an absolute total stranger. You've never seen them and you don't know anything about them. Now we are confronted with the biblical concept of hospitality. How are all the other members who know each other going to treat this foreigner, this stranger, someone they've never seen before as they enter into that context? That is biblical hospitality. And we're going to see clearly from Scripture uh, that that is the key Component. So let's go ahead and look at some of these definitions in light of that. Uh, just a couple of dictionary definitions, actually, that got it right. The American Century Dictionary just simply says that hospitality is welcoming treatment of guests or strangers. Of strangers. That, that's the heart of it. Another key to hospitality is welcoming. It's, this, it's more of an attitude than anything. Hospitality starts in the heart. Hospitality starts in your attitude. Do you like people or do you have an aversion to people? Do you like strange people, foreigners, aliens, or do you not like them, you fear them, you're intimidated, or you're not interested? Uh, it, so it starts in the heart with an attitude, a welcoming, a receiving, embracing attitude towards strangers, aliens, foreigners, people you don't know. That's really what it means. Uh, Chambers Dictionary of Etymology says how we got our word, our English word hospitality comes by way of a couple of different languages, be it Latin and French. Uh, the friendly treatment of guests or strangers. That word for stranger is key because that's really what hospitality means. About 1384, uh, I think that's the Latin word there, used in the Wycliffe Bible, borrowing from the Latin. And the Latin for hospitality is friendliness to guests or strangers. Being friendly to a stranger. That's what hospitality means. Uh, next on your definition, the word hospitality, and it's where we get the word hospital and hospice. And if you look, studied history and find out the origin of a hospice or a hospital, it was places that took care of total strangers. They welcomed total strangers, whether they had a physical need or an emotional need. Welcoming strangers. It's the very heart and backbone of the definition. And that's true as we see in the New Testament. So I gave you some New Testament definitions. Really, the New Testament word used in the key passages in Titus 1.8, 1 Peter 4, Romans 12, Hebrews 13, 1 Timothy 5, all these commands or injunctions of Christians to be hospitable uses the same word, and it's a compound word. It's phileo, the word for love, to love, brotherly love, along with the word xenos, which means Stranger, to love strangers. That is the Greek New Testament word for hospitality. It is the love of strangers, love of foreigners, love of people you don't know, the love of visitors, the love of people who are passing through, passing by, or coming into your presence for the first time, maybe permanently to settle down, the love of strangers. And we get English words from that. Like xeno means stranger, xenophobia. That's somebody who's afraid of strangers or doesn't trust strangers, xenophobia. So it's the love of strangers. That is the technical definition and used consistently throughout the New Testament. Uh, and then just to add to that, uh, so from a biblical point of view, hospitality is a welcoming spirit or attitude. Open arms towards strangers. A love for foreigners and willingness to receive them. 
So it's stranger love versus that other biblical word for brotherly love. The word brotherly love is love for those you know. Love for the brethren immediately in your presence, in your community. So you've got brotherly love and stranger love. And in three passages in the New Testament, they are used in proximity to one another very specifically. As Christians, we're supposed to love the brothers immediately around us that we know. And then also we're supposed to love strangers, those that we don't know. It's an obligation from God. Look at Hebrews 13. uh, And I just want to show you where Sam was reading earlier. Where the New Testament authors are 100% consistent on this, making a distinction between the love of strangers versus love of people you know, love of the immediate brethren in your community, your church, your family. So, uh, Hebrews 13.1, so if you're reading this in the Greek text, let the love of the brethren continue. The love phileo for the brethren Delphos, love the leo Delphos, love the brothers. In addition to that, verse 2, do not neglect to show hospitality. That's love for strangers. See, it's a distinction. Love your brothers that are immediately around you that you know, verse 1, and also love strangers when they are in your midst. Two very specific words, two very specific virtues, concepts used together. Uh, here's a Bible dictionary that says this, very helpful as far as the background saying what biblical hospitality is, it is the free, unremunerated, unremunerated, that is a big word with a lot of syllables, that's where you don't expect money in return for doing something kind to someone else. It's like the car wash yesterday. Washing the car for free is a blessing to a whole bunch of strangers. Hospitality, the free, unremunerated supply of food and lodging to a traveler. This duty is continually set before us in God's kindness to men who are pilgrims and sojourners here. The early Christians regarded it as a chief duty and so practiced it as to win the admiration of the heathen or unbelievers. They welcomed especially all members of the household of faith from abroad. So Christians who were traveling from all over the world, Christians they didn't know who came into their midst, they welcomed them with open arms. They didn't say, uh, so are you a charismatic Christian or a conservative non-charismatic Christian? Can't pass the doors until... No, they didn't do that. It was the, whole, the household of faith with open arms from every quarter. It was accounted... A, get this. It was accounted a disgrace for a Christian to lodge at an inn in a certain town when any Christian lived nearby. So if you went to a town and there was a believing community or house there or other believers and they didn't accommodate you as a fellow brother or sister in the Lord, that was considered a disgrace on the church. Another dictionary says hospitality is behaving in a kind and generous manner towards guests, fond of entertaining guests or strangers, expressing welcome and generosity towards visitors. Unger's Bible Dictionary says in biblical times, hospitality was believed to be a sacred duty to receive, feed, lodge, and protect any traveler who might stop at one's door. The stranger was treated as a guest, and men who had thus eaten together were bound to each other by the strongest ties of friendship, which descended to their hearts and was, and was confirmed by mutual presence or gifts exchanging. So in biblical times, it was believed to be a sacred duty to receive, lodge, and feed and protect the traveler who might stop at one's door. I was reminded of that when I was reading this, of when we had Majesty, the Master's College students, come among us and they needed a place to stay. And I just threw it out there. Can anybody accommodate these people? You didn't know them from Adam. And 
we had more than enough people who said, hey, I'll, I'll host a couple. And you did. And you opened your doors. You had them stay at your house, fed them food, and actually got to know them in Christ in just 24 hours. It was a, a blessed example of what true biblical hospitality is. So that would be a great example of modern-day hospitality. Or when Bob Provost was here two weeks ago. You guys didn't know Bob Provost, and you welcomed him with open arms. At least that's what he tells me. He was blessed by being with our church and our people. So he felt very welcomed, yet he was a stranger. Uh, this is interesting. The Zondervan Encyclopedia says this, quote, Jesus practiced hospitality. And then he gives a whole bunch of examples. One of the main ones that all the commentaries give is Jesus practiced hospitality in feeding the multitudes. Because Jesus is feeding up to 20,000 people. Jesus, on a human level, he didn't know all these people in terms of having a relationship with them. But he didn't mind. He didn't discriminate. He provided for all of them. Because of his love for people. So Jesus practiced hospitality. The reason that's interesting is Jesus didn't have a home. He didn't have own a home. He didn't have a place to lay his head. And so you don't need a home to practice hospitality, do you? You don't, even, you don't have to invite people to your house to practice hospitality. What do you need to practice biblical hospitality? It starts with your attitude in your heart. You need to have a welcoming spirit towards strangers. People you don't know. Very important. Because we model Jesus uh, when we practice uh, another commentator on Romans says that in apostolic times, there was urgent need for the practice of this virtue of hospitality. Why? There were the persecutions by which Christians were compelled to migrate. Think about that. Acts chapter 8, the church in Jerusalem got persecuted. They scattered all over the place. They fled for their lives. This would be like during the time of the Holocaust, where Jews are running all over the place. They need a place to stay. Can I stay in your barn? To perfect strangers. And some people would give them a stiff arm. I don't know you absolutely tonight. And others would welcome them in a perfect stranger, accommodate them, feed them, care for them, protect them. That is hospitality. That was needed in the early church. That is needed in the persecuted church around the world today. Same thing. Welcoming strangers. There were other reasons also for which they were moving from place to place. The messengers of the gospel were itinerating or going around in fulfillment of the Great Commission to the uttermost ends of the earth, like the Apostle Paul, going all over the place, going into foreign lands among foreign people, and many times he was dependent upon people he'd never met before to welcome him into their home, accommodate him, meet his needs. That is biblical hospitality, and we're going to see that. So let's go on to the five main points here that I want to get out, and that is first looking at the Old Testament background that really is the foundation for New Testament Christian hospitality. Um, and I want you to look at, we'll look at two verses, Leviticus 19, and then also in Deuteronomy. So uh, Leviticus 19.34 where God is giving the Mosaic Law to Moses to give to all the Israelites in the Israelite community. And this is how they were to live their lives, conduct their life. This was really their national constitution. And hospitality was at the heart of it. They needed to be a hospitable people. Just because they were Jewish meant they couldn't, they couldn't stick their nose down at people who were not Jewish. That was arrogant. That was ungodly. They needed to be welcoming to the stranger to the non-Jew in terms of their attitude. Uh, Leviticus 19. Oops, I might have the wrong verse there. Um, okay, let's go to Deuteronomy 10. Hopefully that's the right verse, and that's actually a parallel passage. Pretty much saying the same thing, even a little more detailed, so that's fine. Sorry, Deuteronomy 10, 17 to 22. So God is reiterating the law that He gave earlier. 
And so starting at verse 17 in Deuteronomy 10, God says through Moses, for the Lord Yahweh, your God is the God of gods. He is the Lord of lords. In other words, he is the only true God. He is the creator. His name is Yahweh. The great, the mighty, the awesome God who doesn't. Here's the key. The true God who does not show partiality. That's the key. He doesn't say, just say, oh, I like a few people. I like those people. I like their color of skin. I like their ethnicity. I like their geographic location. And God is saying, no, I'm not that kind of a God. I show no partiality. I created every human being in my image. God doesn't show partiality among people. He doesn't love men more than He loves women. He doesn't love adults more than He loves children. He doesn't love one race over another. God doesn't show partiality. Verse 18, he executes justice for the orphan and the widow and shows his love for the alien. There it is. God shows his love for the stranger. You know what that is? That's biblical hospitality. God is welcoming to strangers. Here, that would include Gentiles, non-Jewish people. Shows his love for the alien by giving him food and clothing. There it is. That became the New Testament foundation of what true hospitality is. Welcoming strangers embracing them, providing for their needs. Human beings made in the image of God. Verse 19, here's the command. So show your love for the alien. What he's saying is be like God, be like me. For us in the New Testament, be like Christ. He was accommodating, he was loving, he showed no partiality. He showed hospitality, he embraced all humanity. They were made in the image of God. And he's saying the same thing here. So show your love for the alien. That means show hospitality. Be hospitable. Welcome strangers. It starts in your heart. It starts in your attitude. Do not be exclusive. Do not be prejudicial. Don't show partiality. And why should we embrace the alien, the stranger, the sojourner, the one who's even fleeing from their homeland? Why should we have that attitude? And he tells them why. Because, Israel, for you were aliens in the land of Egypt. You were strangers. You know what it's like to be a stranger. And what a blessing it is to be embraced when you're a stranger. When you have no one else around you. And you shall fear the Lord your God. So that is really the Old Testament foundation and background of hospitality. It's the very heart of God Himself who loves strangers. Then number two, hospitality illustrated. Uh, hospitality is illustrated all over the place in the Old Testament. Too many to read. There are some keys that become examples in the New Testament. And let's start at Genesis 18. Abraham was actually a model of faith. And Abraham is also a model of true hospitality. Because Hebrews 13 refers to this incident where Abraham was the perfect example of hospitality, welcoming strangers and people he did not know. Uh, Genesis 18, verse 1 and following says this, Now the Lord, Yahweh, appeared to Abraham. God Almighty appeared to Abraham in a human body. It could be that Abraham didn't initially know that it was God Almighty in a body. He thought it was just three human beings. It was actually God Almighty in a human body with two angels who took on human bodies. And Abraham probably initially thought these were just three human beings. They are strangers. They're passing through. And he responds with a heart of love towards foreigners or strangers, the people he doesn't know. That's what Hebrews 13 says in its commentary on this. Now the Lord appeared to Abraham by the oaks of Mamre while he was sitting at the tent door in the heat of the day. And when Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, behold, three men, there it is, three people in human bodies, three men were standing opposite him. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth. That's hospitality. That is a welcoming heart and welcoming attitude. 
ran to them. Some people at GBF are like that, by the way. When they see a visitor or somebody new, they make a beeline whoosh, right to that person. a new Because per- they love people and they love new people. They get to know them and ask them, well, so what brought you here? Or, Who are you? Where'd you come from? And they love to hear their story. That's a hospitable heart. Bowed himself to the earth. Verse three, verse 3, and he said, My Lord, if now I have found favor in your sight, please do not pass your servant by. Please let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. And I will bring a piece of bread that you may refresh yourselves. After that, you may go on since you have visited your servant. And they said, So do as you have said. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah and said, uh, quickly prepare three measures of fine flour, knead it, and make the bread and make bread cakes. And Abraham also ran to the herd, and he took a tender and choice calf, and gave it to the servant or the cook. And he hurried to prepare it. He took curds and milk, and the calf which he had prepared, and placed it before them. And he was standing by them under the tree, and he treated them in a hospitable manner in every conceivable way. That's awesome. That is the heart of love. That's the heart of God. That is the heart of true biblical hospitality that we also need to model exemplify as followers of Christ. Uh, Another example or illustration is when Rahab in Joshua chapter 2, she welcomed the spies. She didn't know who they were and she welcomed them into her home. She blessed them. She refreshed them. She even protected them. That is stranger love. That is biblical hospitality. Uh, I put another couple references there that you can look at on your own time, but I do want you to go to Luke 10 in the New Testament because this is such a famous passage. It's the Good Samaritan story. We have the Samaritan's Purse. We have all kinds of things named Good Samaritan Hospital. That all comes from here. And this is a story that Jesus gave that is a godly example of biblical hospitality. Uh, So if you look at Luke 10, we'll start reading at verse 30. And Jesus told this story kind of to rebuke some of the Jewish leaders And some of these Jewish leaders, they didn't like Gentiles. They looked down their nose at people who weren't Jewish. They hated some of these pure Jews. They hated the Samaritans because Samaritans were half-breeds and weren't fully Jewish. Some of these Jewish leaders also uh, hated Gentiles. They thought the Gentiles were unpure race. They were contaminated. And so they had a very ungodly attitude. They didn't welcome strangers, visitors, different people, aliens. And to rebuke them... Uh, And also as a lesson for us, Jesus tells this story, the Good Samaritan. And it models for us perfectly biblical hospitality. Uh, Starting at verse 30, Jesus replied and said, A man was going down from Jerusalem. A man was going down from Jerusalem. So the implication is this is a Jewish man. He's leaving Jerusalem. He's going to Jericho. He fell among robbers. The robbers stripped him and beat him. Went away, leaving him half dead. He's laying there on the ground. And by chance, a priest, this is a Jewish priest, who's walking by and sees this Jewish man who was beat. One of his own. Not a stranger. A fellow Jew. And by chance, a priest was going down. And by the way, he's Jewish leadership. He's a priest. This is the people that Jesus is rebuking. The arrogant Jewish priests who didn't like strangers. And by chance, a priest was going down on that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Just Saw the fellow Jew in need, didn't meet his needs. Had zero compassion. See, it starts in the heart. No compassion. He had a hardened heart towards his fellow brother on the road. Verse 32, likewise, a Levite. Okay, here's another Jewish leader who doesn't like Gentiles, who doesn't like Samaritans, who doesn't like people that aren't like him. 
Likewise, a, a Levite also, when he came to the place and saw the man laying there, he passed by on the other side as well. Totally cold, hard-hearted, totally inhospitable. But, and that, see, that's a contrast, verse 33. But, that's a huge contrast. Get this. A Samaritan, a half-breed, an unpure Jew. That's what he's saying. But a Samaritan who was on a journey... Samaritans and Jews didn't get along. Samaritans and Jews typically hated each other. They didn't interact. But a Samaritan of all people who was on a journey came upon the the Jew lying there and when he saw him, he felt compassion. There it is. It starts in the heart. He didn't care if he was a Jew. It was a fellow human made in the image of God. And he hurt in his gut on behalf of this person that was in need. Verse 34, And he came to him and he bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them, and he put him on his own breast and carried this guy and brought him to a, an inn, like a hospital or a hospice and, took, hospice, and took care of him. That's hospitality. Verse 35, he just keeps meeting all of his needs. On the next day, he took him and he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. He paid the guy's hotel bill and said, take care of him and whatever more you spend, when I return, I will repay you. That is amazing. That is just overflowing with the love of God and the love of Christ for an absolute, total, perfect stranger. Stranger love, that's... Biblical hospitality. That is the story of the Good Samaritan. So that's hospitality illustrated. Uh, let's go on to another story of where hospitality was woefully neglected when it should not have been. Uh, it's amazing how many stories of hospitality, both good and bad, are in the book of Luke. Uh, but let's look at Luke 7 first. So you flip back a couple chapters. Where hospitality was neglected, wasn't practiced, should have been, and this is by a Pharisee. He's a Jewish leader. He knows the Mosaic Law. He has the Mosaic Law probably memorized. And he's supposed to teach the Mosaic Law to others who are supposed to practice it. So he knows this command in Leviticus 19. He knows this command in Deuteronomy where God said you need to practice hospitality because God is a God of hospitality. So of all people, Pharisees should have known this and been practicing it. And here this Pharisee neglected proper hospitality, love of strangers. Uh, Luke chapter 7, starting at verse 36 Now, one of the Pharisees was requesting Jesus to dine with him, and so Jesus agreed and went to this guy's house. We don't know how well or anything about how well Jesus knew this Pharisee. He just agreed to go to the guy's home. He entered the Pharisee's house, reclined at the table. By the way, most Pharisees would never have Jesus in their home because they knew that Jesus hung out with sinful people and they thought Jesus was contaminated and dirty. And Pharisee means the clean and pure ones and they couldn't have a dirty one in their midst. So they didn't invite Jesus into their home. This is a very rare exception of a Pharisee asking Jesus into his home. So it's pretty significant. So one of the Pharisees asked Jesus into his home. Jesus came to the guy's home and they sat down and they reclined at the table so they're eating dinner on the floor. And there was a woman in the city who was a sinner. That's all she was known. She just had a sinful reputation, whatever it was. She was the, really the scum of society, unclean, dirty, outcast. And when she learned that Jesus was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume that was very expensive. This sinner, verse 38, and standing behind Jesus at his feet, weeping. so she manages to get in the, in the house of this Pharisee. Somehow she got by the bodyguards at the door. Maybe she snuck through the back window. We don't know. Somehow she got in there, pushed through the crowd. No doubt there was 
uh, plenty of people there. And she managed to get all the way up in close proximity to Jesus himself, standing behind Jesus, down at the ground, at his feet. She began to weep because she was a sinner. She knew that he was the Savior. She began to wet Jesus' feet with her tears. She kept wiping them with the hair of her head, kissing his feet in adoration and worship, anointing Jesus' feet with the expensive perfume. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this, he said to himself, as he's watching all this, is this man, if this man Jesus were really a prophet, then Jesus would know who and what sort of person this woman is who is touching him, that she's a sinner and unclean, and he wouldn't tolerate it and put up with it. So this guy can't be a true prophet. Verse 40, he's thinking this in his mind, he's not saying it. Jesus can read minds, and he reads the mind of this sinful, prejudicial hard-hearted, short-sighted Pharisee. And he rebukes him. Verse 40, Jesus answered the Pharisee and said, Simon, so that's the guy's name, Simon the Pharisee. Simon, I have something to say to you. And he replied, well, then say it, teacher. And Jesus says, a moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. Two debts, 550. When they were unable to repay, he graciously forgave them both. So which of the debtors will love him more. And Simon answered and said, well, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And Jesus said to him, uh, you have judged correctly. And then turning toward the woman, Jesus said to Simon, do you see this woman? She's probably still on the floor crying. Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she, since the time I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with her perfume. For this reason I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And then Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. So there's a contrast in hospitality, and really it started in the heart. Hospitality starts... In the heart, compassion and out of a heart of love. Uh, the other example of hospitality neglected is the rich man and Lazarus in Luke 17. We won't read it, but there's just a one sentence there that is quite profound that many times is not emphasized. That Lazarus was sick, dying, poor, hungry. He was laid at the gate of the rich man. In that day, the typical custom was if you had somebody needy at your door, you'd let him in or help him. And the point is, here's the most needy person in the world outside the gate of this rich man, and the rich man doesn't even lift a finger to aid a fellow human being whatsoever in his most basic needs. The man ends up going to, the rich man ends up going to hell. But hospitality was neglected. So let's go on in light of these, the Old Testament background and biblical examples of hospitality. Let's look at the mandate for the church. Specific obligations we have as a church. I want you to look at Romans 12. Because it's a command. Romans chapter 12, after 11 chapters of foundational doctrine and really who we are in Jesus Christ and why our sins are forgiven in Christ. Because we have forgiveness in Christ, we should live a certain way. We have a certain ethic because of what Christ has done for us and on our behalf. And so that's why in chapter 12, all of a sudden, you've got all these commands. Just a flurry of commands. Do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. Why are we doing all this, God, Paul? Because of 
You're doing all this based on the first 11 chapters of the truth of what Christ has done on your behalf. He's saved you. He's empowered you. He's given you the supernatural capacity to do all these things. You can't do them in your own strength. You do them because you know Jesus Christ personally. So that's why you have these flurry of commands. So we're just going to look at some of the many commands given in Romans 13. So let's look at starting at verse 9. We'll go 9 through 13. It's a command, let love be without hypocrisy. So it's, again, the command to love. Love without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Verse 10 is key. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. See, brotherly love is going to be contrasted with verse 13, stranger love. That's exactly what it was in Hebrews 1 and 2. It said, first be committed to brotherly love, those around you, fellow believers, but also be committed to stranger love. Brotherly love, stranger love. Exact same thing, same parallel here in Romans 12. Verse 10, devoted to brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor, not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation. The early church had to persevere in tribulation because they were a persecuted church. It was hard. People were run out of town. Their goods were taken. Their homes were taken and confiscated. And as a result, they had nothing and they had to flee and they were dependent upon the hospitality of other brothers to take them and welcome them in as strangers. Persevering in tribulation, devoted in prayer. Verse 13, contributing to the needs of the saints. This is very specific. This is in the midst of persecution where everybody, many people are needy, especially fellow Christians who are being persecuted and deprived and coming from long foreign areas. Fleeing persecution. Contribute to the needs of the saints, specifically practicing stranger love. Contribute to the needs of your saints. And he's not saying just... Don't just give to those you know around you who are needy, but also give to the strangers in your midst who are also needy. Not just brotherly love, but stranger love. That's what he's talking about. That's the context of Romans 12. It's the exact same context, Hebrews 13, and the exact same parallel is made in 1 Peter chapter 4. Practice brotherly love and also stranger love. That's the mandate for the church. Uh, let's look at another one in James 2. Uh, right after Hebrews, at the end of your Bible, James chapter 2, 1 through 13. And this is pretty much practice what you preach. It's not just what you say, it's also what you do. They have to go together. My brethren, fellow believers, those of you who profess to know Jesus Christ, do not hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism. Don't be prejudicial. Don't pick and choose who you're going to be nice to and welcome. And he's, you know, uh, hospitality plays into this. And he gives an example. Don't show favoritism. Verse 2. For if a man or a woman comes into your assembly, somebody comes and visits your church, and they have a gold ring and they're dressed in fine clothes, in other words, ooh, they're important. They're a dignitary. Ooh, I bet you he could be a big giver to our church. He could help build our building. Let's accommodate that guy. He looks influential. And at the same time, there also comes in a poor man in dirty clothes. Ooh, he's kind of stinky. I don't want to go near him. Ooh, I'm afraid of him. Who knows where he's been? He's probably lazy anyway. He doesn't want to work. He probably got himself into this mess anyway. He probably deserves it. So you got two guys, two different guys. Verse 3, And you pay special attention to the one who is wearing the fine clothes and say, 
hey, you sit here in a good place. And you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down by my footstool. You can go out there in the hall or the lobby. No, as a matter of fact, there's carpet in there. Stay out by the sidewalk so you don't get it dirty. Verse 4, James says, well, have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil motives? Listen, my beloved brethren, did not God choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? There it is. God's got the heart of hospitality. He welcomed strangers. He welcomed weird people. He welcomed foreign people. He welcomed sojourners. He welcomed people who didn't deserve it. He welcomed people who were messy into his family by faith in Jesus Christ. We need to do the same. We need to model the love of Christ in our hospitality. Verse 6, but you have dishonored the poor man. Is it not the rich who oppress you and personally drag you into court? Verse 9, but if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. We cannot be showing partiality. We need to be hospitable. No matter what they look like, who they are, what they smell like, we need to have the heart of Christ, a welcoming attitude towards strangers. That's James' point. It's our obligation. I'm going to get to uh, the couple other examples there of mandates for the church for elders and godly women in just a second. But the point is, hospitality for the church is not an option. It is a command of Jesus Christ. We might reflect the love of Jesus Christ by which we have been saved. Which leads us to point number five, and that is when it comes to hospitality, we need to model Jesus Christ. He was the model of hospitality. And again, he never had a home. He never had possessions. It started in the heart. It started with an attitude, your view of people, a welcoming, receiving attitude towards others. And Jesus was the model. The irony is that Jesus wasn't welcomed by his own, says John chapter 1, verse 9. He wasn't received by his own. Some commentaries on the Gospel of John think that that's referring to hospitality. They weren't hospitable to Jesus. His very own didn't even welcome him. But in return, Jesus was welcomed by many strangers, the Gentiles. They welcomed him, this foreign Messiah. So specifically, how is Jesus the model? Well, he welcomed us when we were strangers. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 2. Jesus showed us hospitality in a spiritual way. Uh, most of us that are not Jewish, I'm, I'm a Gentile, I think, pretty uh, thick and thin. I don't know if I have any Jewish blood in me whatsoever. So uh, I was a Gentile. I was non-Jewish. I wasn't a part of the Old Testament community by lineage. I wasn't part of the special people of God. Yet Jesus Christ loved me and He welcomed me as a stranger, spiritually speaking, and saved me. And that's Paul's point in Ephesians chapter 2. Let's look at it. This amazing work of salvation that God has done on our behalf. For by grace you've been saved through faith, not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not as a result of work, so that anyone should boast. So He saved us by His good grace. Then He tells us how and why He did that for those of us that are Gentiles and non-Jewish people. Therefore, remember, you Gentile, that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, on a human level, who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision by the Jews of the Old Testament, which is performed in the flesh by human hands. Remember, Gentile, who is now saved as a Christian, that you were at that time, here it is, separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers, there it is. We are strangers to the promises of the Old Testament and the Jewish community. Strangers, aliens, foreigners. Strangers to the covenants and promise, having no hope and without God in the world, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly afar off, you who were strangers, 
Aliens have been brought near into the family of God by the blood of Christ, the gospel of Christ, his death and resurrection, his gracious love. He extended to you, to me, and we didn't deserve it. All by grace. Isn't that awesome? Welcoming us, strangers. He goes on, 14. For Jesus himself, he is our peace, who made both groups, Jews and Gentiles, that were believing into one group. He broke down the barrier, the dividing wall between Jew and Greek. How did he do that? By abolishing in his flesh at the cross the enmity, the hatred, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so that in himself he might make the two, Jew and Gentile, who believe into one new man. That one new man is the body of Christ, the church. With one common Savior, Jesus Christ is our head. The one who welcomes strangers. Blessed. We have been blessed recipients of that, isn't it? We are strangers. We were strangers. Some people say I'm still strange. That's okay. I admit it. That's the grace of God. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel is the very model of how we should practice hospitality. And if you read Luke 14, 16 through 24, same thing. Jesus is the model. By the way, Christians, you need to realize we're going to be judged at the at the judgment, one component of that judgment is going to be hospitality. How did we as individuals, as a church, as Christians, as believers, practice or not practice hospitality? And in some way, Jesus is going to use that in judgment towards us, whether it's uh, rewards or chastisement or removing of rewards. But look at Matthew 25. A very well-known, oft-quoted passage, many times quoted out of context, uh, so it can be confusing. But there is application specifically regarding hospitality and how we treat strangers. Matthew 25, 31 and 40. This is a judgment day. And listen to what Jesus says. He's judging the goats and the sheep, believers and unbelievers. Verse 31 says, But when the Son of Man comes in the future at His glorious return, all the angels with Him, then Jesus will sit on His glorious throne and all the nations will be gathered before Him at judgment day and He will separate them from one another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And Jesus... He will put the sheep on his right, the goats on his left. And then the King Jesus, he will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Come. Why? Well, Jesus says, For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. That's hospitality. I was thirsty. You gave me something to drink. Hospitality. I was a stranger and you invited me in. That is the love of strangers. That is hospitality. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer Jesus at that time saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or see you thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you as a stranger and invite you in naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king, that's Jesus, will answer And say to those who are righteous, truly I say to you, to the extent you did it to one of these brothers of mine, the least of these my brethren, even the least of them, you did it to me. So it's this attitude of a welcoming, accommodating, blessing, serving, loving spirit towards strangers and those who are in need that we don't even know, extending them the love of Christ by virtue of the fact that they are made in the image of God and we were once strangers and Christ has saved us and welcomed us into His family, no longer strangers to Him. That is our motivation. So we'll be judged by Jesus regarding some of our hospitality and how we treat others. That's the model of Jesus. And then I gave you extra verses there that if you want to do some further study. It's all over the Bible. 
this basic obligation of hospitality towards others. Now I want to get really practical as I close, and that's how are we doing as a church and how are we doing as individual Christians. So those are the two areas I just want to leave us with. These are just some thoughts, practical application thoughts. As we depart, we think about it, pray about it, assimilate these principles into our own life. Uh, So here's some suggestions. Uh, Two main points. Number one is practicing hospitality as an individual Christian in your own life. So this is just focus on you. Don't focus on anybody else. Sometimes it's hard to do. Well, they need to hear this message because they're not hospitable. No. We need to focus on self in light of everything that we've just learned. Start there. Examine yourself. Don't judge your brother. Examine yourself says Scripture. So here's a way we can examine ourselves. Number one, start with the heart. Yeah, oh, hosp- true, hospitality, true hospitality starts with the heart and an attitude. It was an attitude of compassion. It was an at, uh, also an attitude of love for every human being by virtue of the fact they were made in the image of God. So it starts with a heart, starts with the heart and an attitude. Number two, Ask God to cultivate a hospitable attitude in yourself. That needs to be a prayer, a regular prayer. All of us need to pray. God, make me more loving and welcoming towards strangers. Make me more hospitable. God, only you can change me. Uh, Number three, evaluate uh, yourself for any partiality, prejudice, or selfishness you might have in your own life. Because we all do. And sometimes we have blind spots. So evaluate yourself. God, that's that Psalm, Psalm 139. God, search me with your spirit and reveal any sin that I have in my heart. Specifically, any partiality, prejudice, uh, selfishness, self-centeredness I have, and expose it. Change my heart. Uh, Number four, how can we become better at hospitality? Observe those around you who do it well. And they are exemplary models of hospitality. Watch them. Hang around them. Follow up with them. Get some suggestions from them. Modeling. That's how Jesus taught, by modeling. Number five, this will help with hospitality. Treat everything you own as though it belonged to God. Boy, that'll change your heart and attitude. The car that you drive, is that your car or is that God's car? As a Christian, it should be, well, that's God's car. God gave it to me. He's the one that gives the power to make wealth. So I'm going to treat it like God's car. I'm going to treat it better than any car I've ever treated in my life. And I'm also going to be generous with it when the Spirit of God prompts me to. Be good stewards of everything that you have, but everything you have belongs to God and came from God. Uh, Number six, hospitality flows out of other Christian virtues. Those those one another's, a loving heart, a giving heart, a serving heart, a compassionate heart, those are all involved and they make up true hospitality. Uh, Number seven, you don't have to own a lot of stuff to be hospitable, do you? Because it starts with the attitude. We saw that Jesus owned nothing and was the model of hospitality, so you can't make excuses well, I don't have anything. Well, you can still be hospitable and welcoming. You don't even, you, it's possible you don't own anything, but you see a stranger who walks into GBF, and boom, you make a beeline and you welcome them, and you, and you find out about them and you want to bless them, these new strange people. And then finally, number eight, worry about yourself and not everyone else. And I said that earlier. Examine yourself. Worry about yourself. Don't complain about other people and how they're not being hospitable. How are you doing? How am I doing? That's where it's got to start. So that's... Hospitality on an individual basis. Now, corporately speaking, so this would be our church as a group. How can we be better at hospitality and how are we doing at hospitality at loving strangers? Just some ideas and suggestions. Uh, Here it starts with questions. Are we welcoming to strangers, visitors, and travelers as they're coming through? Whether they're coming to see a new church. Maybe they're passing through in town because they're going to a wedding in the area. Maybe they're a guest speaker. Maybe they're somebody off the street. 
Could be a believer, could be an unbeliever. We don't know. That's another thing that one commentator pointed out that I thought was great. Hospitality involves really three stages for the local church. As you want to welcome somebody, but you also have to be discerning, right, to, uh, regarding strangers and find out who they really are. Because some strangers will come in as wolves masquerading in sheep's clothing to devour the flock. That's what Acts 20 says. And so the elders in particular need to be on guard and discerning. We need to be welcoming, but we also need to guard our sheep. So very important. God needs to lead us in that regard. So are we welcoming to strangers, visitors, and and are we deliberate was the next question. Are we deliberate as a church to being welcoming and accommodating to strange people, visitors, guests? Many ways. So a lot of the things we do in ministry uh, specifically lend themselves towards hospitality ministry. As a matter of fact, we shouldn't be doing any ministry at GBF that doesn't have a biblical purpose at its root. So all the way from greeters who have the reason they have labels and it says greeters is because there's a deliberate purpose. We want them to greet everyone and especially new people, foreigners, strangers, to make them feel at home and welcomed. And these greeters aren't just uh, flippantly thrown out there. They are talked to. They are trained. There's communication. Uh, Hopefully they have the gift of loving people and uh, being hospitable. And that's where they excel and they have a great joy in doing it. So it's very deliberate all the way from the time people... A first-time visitor walks in the door, is greeted with a bulletin, is greeted with a welcome bag. This is all very deliberate. I greet visitors every single week from the pulpit, welcoming them, orienting them, hopefully accommodating them, getting to know them after the service, during the greeting time, at the fellowship meal. That is all deliberate. Following up with them with emails and phone calls because that's what God commands us to do, to welcome visitors and strangers. So we need to be deliberate about it. Uh, also, number four, as a church, it needs to start with the elders because that's what the Bible says. First Timothy 3 says that an elder needs to be hospitable. He needs to be a welcoming person. It doesn't mean that he needs to have people at his house every Sunday necessarily. It needs to start with his attitude. Does he have a love for people and especially a love for new people, foreigners and strangers? And I can just tell you, having been here for five years, uh, I am, we are blessed by the elders that we have at this church. They love people. How do I know that? Because every single week behind the scenes, uh, I get feedback from all three of my elders about new people and visitors. They tell me. They gravitate towards them to welcome them, to get their name, to get their history, to see whatever they can to accommodate them, to bless them, to learn about them. Maybe you don't see it, but I do. And that's where it's got to start with our elders. So it's a blessing. Um, Number whatever I'm on, five. Not only does it have to start with the elders, according to 1 Timothy 5, we need women of God who are gifted at this and lead the way by way of example and hospitality. That's 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 10. A mature, godly woman is known by her hospitality, her love of strangers, of washing their feet, meeting their needs, setting the example, especially to the younger women. So we need godly elders doing this. We need godly women in the church doing it in tandem to be a church that ministers and blesses visitors and it will have an indelible impact it does first impressions are quite important and sometimes unforgettable i know that in my own personal experience a lot of examples but i just thought of one that vividly comes to mind when i was candidating at another church years ago and it was posted on the website so you, i mean you knew the ranking and they were advertising it across the united states and they took in over a hundred applicants and i finally i kept making it down and i, I think i was in the top five candidates 
And I thought, wow, before I get the final interview, I want to find out about this church. So I actually drove there and went to visit a worship service on a Sunday. And I was, I was going incognito, secretively, just as a normal lay person. So I was not wearing a tie that day. It was maybe shorts and a Hawaiian shirt. I, don't, I can't remember. And I went to the worship service, and I went just like trying to be normal, grabbed a bulletin, whatever, sat down, went through the service, did everything else, hung out a little bit, looked at the bulletin board, looked at their mission stuff, all their pamphlets, walked back to my car. Not one human being talked to me the entire morning. This is a church of five to 700 people. Um, so I was like shocked. I was like, well, okay, if I become a pastor here, I know the first thing I'm going to do is start a hospitality ministry. Um, and I, went, I literally went down and I took notes of the church on every area, the music, the sermon, hospitality, how they dealt with visitors, blah, blah, blah. And I, I wrote it down because I wanted that in writing so that when I sat down for the interview and then their elders asked me, so what do you know about our church? And I could say, well, I actually came to visit one day on a Sunday morning. Oh, okay, what are your findings? And I was going to read through it and be balanced and objective. But one thing I was going to point out is how I went there, walked through the entire thing, and not one per- They even had ushers and greeters and people supposedly specialized to do that. And I just... I mean, I was trying to help them out too, you know, kind of going near some people and it didn't work. Um, but I don't know about you, but I've heard that story over the years at many different churches. And a lot of times churches get a bad rap for that because they are so self-centered and cloistered and they call it the holy huddle and they're just concerned with the familiar and those that they know. And at times, especially when you exist as a long time as a church and you become comfortable with one another and institutionalized and then you kind of just forget about the strangers. We can't do that. We are obligated by Christ Himself because of the Gospel to continue to accommodate strangers and have a significant deliberate ministry to them. And like I said, it starts with the elders. And I know that uh, at our house, we are blessed with hospitality because my wife is committed to hospitality. And actually, God brought us together, I think, as a good match in the pastoral ministry because we just love people. And you've got to love people. You've got to. And so our... At our house, our door is a revolving door. And we're actually proud of it. I remember when we first got married, I guess I was, I don't know if I was testing my wife or whatever, but I brought home a teenager who either got kicked out of their house or ran away from home. And I said, "Uh, Dear, there's a girl out in the car and she's about 17. Do you think she could live with us? (laughs) Sorry, I didn't ask you earlier. (laughs) So, uh, Sure, bring her in. And we did. And it was great. It was a blessing. She lived with us. I can't remember. Three weeks or three months. Hopefully it changed her life. Um, But that's where it's got to start. You've got to be accommodating. You've got to have compassion. You've got to love people. And we need to do that corporately with God's grace on a regular basis that we might bless others and glorify God in the process. So let's ask God to give us a hospitable heart that really reflects the heart of Jesus Christ Himself to the world. With that, let's go ahead and pray. Father, we thank You for this day, our time together. God, what blessed truths that are in Your Scripture. So many. Too many to study. But God, the ones that we've been able to look at and glance at, God, uh, impress them indelibly upon our heart that we not forget them. They become routine for us, for our attitude of how we live and conduct our life and how we view people. And truly, through the Spirit of God and changing our life, God, give us the heart of Jesus Christ towards humanity, especially towards strangers as we think about practicing the ministry of hospitality on your behalf. We commit it all to you, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening. Dr. McManus is an author, seminary professor, and pastor-teacher of Grace Bible Fellowship 
For more information about Dr. McManus, other messages, or resources, please visit gbfsv.org or call us at 650-630-0009.